and amen. You know, just before I get going again, there was some stunning news if you followed the last few days, wasn't there? And we see a little shaking going on um, in, in the bear, in Russia, in the bear. There's some shaking going on. And typically what happens when that happens is that the bear comes out growling and biting even harder and trying to show itself as being stronger and uh, trying to. So we need to pray hard because uh, when dictators are put up against the wall, they only know one thing, and that is to come out and threaten and intimidate. And uh, oftentimes it's a pivot and uh, from both my training as a political scientist and also in just watching and learning and understanding even Bible history, it's a pivot. And typically it pivots to a weaker or somebody else where they can get other allies to join with them. So pray hard because I sense in my spirit a pivot. And in that pivot, it could well pivot towards anybody and anything, including Israel again. How many of you know Israel is always the bad boy uh, that gets dragged out to the woodshed uh, when it's time to get people to, to, to ally in different pivots and signs of the world? So pray, pray. There's something going on. This wasn't just a historical glitch. This was something where the Lord's getting our attention and I would expect very much that the dictator in Russia, and he doesn't like being called a dictator, but he is, the dictator in Russia uh, is going to look to pivot because he needs to strengthen himself in the world and in that country. And uh, I want to pray for the protection of Israel and uh, not only that, but all, all countries that seem to be somewhat susceptible to that iron hand coming. Now, on to our message I wrote to you that uh, the Lord is doing a work from the inside out, from the inside out. And we want to discover that in the Word of God with the Word and the Spirit. And uh, I pointed out that the Word, the Spirit, and the totality of the fullness of God is constantly changing and transforming us from the inside out and into the working of the totality of God. Now, first of all, let's focus on the Word of God. Let's go to Genesis 1. Now, some believe, and actually if you've watched any of the series, watched any of the series Chosen, it's on TBN, they did this, they took a license, and uh, they showed this thing about John writing the gospel with his wife was helping him, could have been, I don't know, and she was giving him ideas and helping him with recall, and uh, in that instance, uh, it came time for Jesus, they called him rabbi, to read something in the temple. And so uh, John chose Genesis 1, 1, and asked Jesus to read that. But let's see this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? This is word. Next. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Next. Then God said, God said, say with me, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let's stop right there. Let's break that down in a moment. I constantly try to teach to not glass over Scripture. Stop and ponder and look at the segments. 
Rabbinical teaching always learned in segments. There are rabbis that taught one phrase for a whole year. There are students that learned one phrase for a whole year. In this instance, we go back to verse 1. In the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of what we know. That's the beginning. And we can call that time because this is the first measure of time. In the beginning, time began. We don't understand it in years or days or seconds or moments, but we understand that this was an interruption of eternity. This was an interruption of what was before. And all we know is, as much as we understand, it was void, but there was an earth. There was an earth before the beginning of time that measures us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we don't want to get into the science of it all. I really don't care. But in essence, if he created the heavens and the earth, there's some thought, is that just the heavens of the atmosphere of the earth, or is that the heavens of all the universe? Does it really matter to us? I don't think so. What goes on is next in the verse, the earth was without form and void. In essence, the earth was without its essence. <laughs> it had no essence. It was just like every other piece of rock or chemicals or universe, uh, planted in the universe, whatever it was. It had no identity. Now follow me. It had no identity. And darkness was on the face of the deep, the deep, the deep of the earth. Now some say that was only the water, but I consider it to be the entire identity of the earth was dark. It had no identity. It was nothing. It wasn't able to sustain life. It didn't give glory to God. It was a desolate place. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now notice that first before the next verse came the Spirit of God moving. The Spirit of God moving. Why was the Spirit of God hovering over the waters? Next verse tells us, then God said, let there be light. The Spirit of God moved before the Word of God. The Spirit of God moves over the darkness of people that don't know the Lord before the Word of the Lord. Many of us do well as we evangelize to understand that the Lord is already moving in His Spirit to those that He puts in our paths. We would be hard-pressed to think that somehow we select the ones that the Lord uses us for. We just have the opportunity to be there. The Spirit of God is moving. And He's moving over the deep, the deep things of the person. And the deep things of the person that's not in the light of Jesus is void in darkness. Void of being of God, void of Spirit of God, void of understanding of God, void of life eternal. And then there was light. We get our first glimpse of the Word of God working with the Spirit of God to bring forth life. So we understand that those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We also understand that another synonym, spiritual, theological synonym for the Word is the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I speak the truth. I am the truth, the way, and the light. He's the Word. He's the truth. So we understand that the truth of all that it is, 
is that the Spirit of God is working, if you will, in union and tandem with the Word of God. Now that we've laid that foundation, let's move on. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, Paul gives a glimpse of fullness. Anything that is in pieces or in part and hasn't been completed is not full. But he lets us understand this. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, underlying strength, may have strength. Another word for that strength is power. Another word for that strength is also the capacity to withstand. Strength to withstand. How many of you know that, you know, you could weigh 20 pounds and be outside and there's no wind and you've got nothing to worry about, but if you weigh 20 pounds and a 30 mile per hour gust comes, it's going to lift you up off your feet. So we need strength. So Paul's praying, praying for strength. He prays that we may have the strength to comprehend. Notice that the word says comprehend, but but as it's actually deciphered, it means both apprehend and comprehend. They're used interchangeably. To comprehend how to apprehend all the whole, with all the holy ones, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to be able to comprehend, to apprehend, to be strong, to be able to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if that's what he's praying, he's praying it because there must be some people who aren't filled with the fullness of God. It must be possible for you or I not to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, theologically, is that possible? Because when you're born again, as we'll get into further, we receive the Spirit of God, but do we receive the Spirit of God in all fullness? Or is there something we need to do? Or is there something that someone needs to do? Is there something that must happen or occur? And is it something, as a causation goes, is it something that's a suddenly in a moment? Or is it something that has a continuum to it? It must be from one point to another point to another point to another point. Hmm. So, he's doing a work on us from the inside out. Now, let's talk about the word of God as we just went to. As we look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. I want to put a foundation for the word. Now, it, it would take forever to put a full foundation for the word. But let's just glimpse these, grasp these principles. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This was David's testimony. Now, he interchanges meditating on the law and the law throughout the Psalms, and the psalmists do. But he never gets to the point about word incarnate. It's always directional. It's always external. He meditates in order to get direction. The word becomes a lamp to his feet, and it lights up his path for his life if he observes and is obedient to the word. What was the word at that time? the law of Moses. That was the word. And so it wasn't incarnate, 
There had to be moments of revelation for him, for Elijah, for Ezekiel, for those who would receive a word and receive revelation with it. But if you look at it, it always comes when the Spirit moves upon them. It doesn't come upon them just by the word. So we understand that previous, pre-Jesus, the word is directional, if you will, external. And that also lets us understand the law, doesn't it? The law couldn't fulfill all the purpose it was required to do because it required something internal that the people were unable to do. It required the strength that Paul was talking about that they didn't have. It required more than strength. It also required the opportunity to be able to comprehend and apprehend. How many of you know that in order to catch a fish, first of all, you need something that will go into the fish's environment, right? Could be a net, could be a string, could be a line. And then unless you're lucky and just happen to come out with one, you need to bait it, you need to have the proper things to get the fish. So it is with comprehending and apprehending the things of the Word of God if you are not properly equipped It just stays external. It doesn't come internal. And there are many people that live, some that even identify as Christians, that only observe an external word. They reject the move of the Holy Spirit. They claim that there was a certain time in biblical history when there was a baptism of the fire and Pentecost of the Holy Spirit, but that time did its work and it's over with almost like jesus disappeared so did the holy spirit there are many that say that the spirit being sealed is different than the spirit being sealed that we understand which maybe we'll get to today as well so we want to be those who are becoming equipped to comprehend and apprehend the word which we know is the living word but it's only living if it has somewhere to live in Come on. Something is alive only if it has the organism to live in. Otherwise, it's dead. A dead fig tree. Useless, Jesus said. Right? A dead carcass just stinks. It doesn't give you anything. A dead soul has no ability to comprehend and apprehend the Word of God. It could be directional, but it cannot be internal. God is doing a work and does a work from the inside out. But when sown into the being of the heart, it becomes essential. Now, let's talk about essential for a moment. Essence of something is that which constitutes what it is intrinsically. Otherwise, it requires that substance in order to be what it is. An animal is an animal because it has animal stuff. And there are different kinds of identities of animals because they identify with different kinds of things. Plants, insects, birds, and human beings. Human beings are a species, both man and female. And human beings have a very specific identity and substance unlike any other creature on earth which shoots a big hole in evolution, right? We already know that most people have quit talking about it except for those who don't want to give up and 
keep trying to explain our being, our wisdom, and everything else with their own desires instead of understanding the image of God. Essence is a thing that constitutes what it is intrinsically, and it makes it what it is. That substance makes it what it is such that without it, it's not the thing that it's supposed to be. Now, we know blood is in the life. If we empty the blood out, we've got no more life. We might have life eternal, but the blood of this organism here on this earth is gone. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, says the scripture of God, for those who know the Lord. To be absent from the body could be present with something else if you don't know the Lord. Because the spirit has life. So there's substance, there's an essence that makes everyone and everything what it is. We've discovered a long time ago that there's an essence in the being of God himself. We're not sure exactly how to define it, and nobody does, and oftentimes the word's used for so many more things than the essence of God, but it's his glory. It's his glory that makes him what it is. It's his glory that resurrected the glory of the Father, Jesus Christ, from the dead. It's his glory that was sent into Christ to resurrect him from the dead. It's his glory that we were told in John 17 has been given to us to make him one like him. It's the glory. It's the God stuff. It's the essence. Without that, you're not what you're called to be. But that glory is not one in nature of every human being. There's something required. It's called a new creation. And in that new creation, old things have passed away. What old things? The old things of yourself, your stuff, your personal selfish stuff is passed away and new stuff has been imparted. And that's the divine nature of God. Now, glory is a transforming nature. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, please. Glory is has a transforming nature. Glory can't help but transform. Wherever the presence of the Lord is, the Lord doesn't conform to anything. Everything conforms to him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The void had no decision to make about becoming alive with light. The, the, the beings that were spoken into in Genesis 1 and 2, there was no negotiation. There was no discussion. It was done. Because when the glory of the Lord is imparted and ministered by the Holy Spirit, that which has been spoken in the Word activates and it conforms exactly to the will and person of God and the fullness of God. So in 2 Corinthians 3.18 Here's what happens for a glory being. Turn to somebody close to you and say, you are a glory being. All right. But we all, we all, we all, we all who? We all who know Jesus Christ, right? Not the world. Beloved, do not fall into that, that everybody in the world is your brother and your sister. Uh-uh. Your brothers and sisters are sitting right here. Your brothers and sisters are there. Your brothers and sisters are the family of Jesus Christ, the family of the Father. Those are your brothers and sisters. All the other ones are, are needing to be adopted just like we were, right? So the world wants us to believe that 
everybody is the same, and because of that, we fall into all kind of mischief and untruths. And we see a falling away of people from the image of God into the image of what people want to say we can and should be instead of what we are. But we all with an unveiled face. Why unveiled? Because it's like you're no longer having to be shielded from the glory of God inside the temple. We were unable prior to Jesus Christ. Man and woman was unable to be face to face with the glory of God. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Beholding as if in a mirror, that's a strong statement. That's a statement that says, as if in a mirror, you're looking into the face of the glory of God and he's looking into the face of the glory of God in you. You're being transformed, there it is. You're being changed from the inside out with the same image from glory to glory. Whose image? His image. With the same image. Let us create him, both male and female, in our image. The whole idea of the transformation, the rebirth, from the inside out is to restore humanity into the image of God. Why do you think that the image is under such attack right now? Because Jesus knows the Lord's getting ready to return. And he knows all this nonsense and debate about is life in the womb alive and all this, in, this nonsense about what is a man and what is a woman and how many genders there are and Anybody can choose to be what they are. God missed it. He's, something went wrong physiologically or neurologically. All that nonsense is going to get arrested in a single moment when Jesus Christ returns. And the vain philosophies and science of man is going to be exposed, and there's going to be a lot of repentance going on. A lot of repentance. Every knee is going to bow, and there's going to be a lot of people asking for forgiveness, and we can only pray on the grace of God that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Are being transformed into the same image from a glory to a glory. Wait a minute. Paul said, I pray that you might know the breadth, the depth, the length, the width, and the understanding to comprehend and apprehend the fullness of God. Here it is. We have to do something in it. You see, we get so lazy as believers, and there's so much lazy teaching going on that all we need to do is believe in grace. If you believe in grace, you don't need to do anything else. In fact, anything you do is already covered in grace. That's not true. Grace isn't there to be abused and used. Grace is there to be our safety net and to protect us and to allow us into the open areas of a free life without fear of stumbling because, let me say something to you, we surely stumble. Huh? Some heads went like this, others went, uh. we surely stumble. We surely need to get picked back up, and that's the grace of God, but by the grace of God. That's why Paul was asking for more and more because he understood that he was trying to stay within the guardrails. He understood that the way things were previously as he was moving from a glory to glory, they weren't working the same. How many of us have come into the saving grace of Jesus Christ and, man, things just happened like this. People came in our lives, things got in line, our eyes opened up, supernatural things were happening left and right, but the longer we were in all of the those things weren't as often. They slowed down. 
And instead, we were relied upon to have more faith, more wisdom, more understanding, more obedience. And as it came, we were transforming. We were coming from this glory, which was a better glory than the one we didn't have, to another glory. But some people get stuck in the other glory, and they don't want to get out. Or they don't know how to get out. Or they don't have teachers to get them out. How many of you know that nobody can teach you what they don't have? Nobody can take you where they don't go or don't want to go. So a lot of times, sheep are the subjects of ignorance. The ignorance of the leaders. Leaders that refuse to allow the glory to move. And that's the danger of being stuck in a word that is not internalized. The danger of being stuck in a word that is not internalized is that it becomes legalistic in itself. And how many of you know there are a lot of legalistic Christians who don't even read the Old Testament running around the globe right now? Huh? How many of you know that? How many of you know that their mindsets are about this far and they don't really want to open it up any further? They only want to live in this realm because somebody taught them that was the realm, first of all. That's the first reason. And secondly, because it takes courage to change. Huh? Does it take courage to change? I know in my life I went through some radical changes. I hate to tell myself I had courage, but I think the Holy Spirit gave me a lot. Because it wasn't easy. And even today, I find it very hard. Very hard to control and, and, and answer the call of God that's that's in my life that I know I'm supposed to do, and maybe you do as well, I think, because you have so many forces working against it. But the one thing that I take great comfort in and confident is knowing that we're ever-changing. That's why we have to be so careful to want to repeat a formula of something. It worked then, so let's do it again. <laughs> do we ask the Lord first? Lord, am I supposed to do this the way I did it? Or is there something new? We could try to do things the way we used to do them, but then you're looking in a foggy mirror, and you're not seeing that face looking back at you. And it's almost like, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of us all? You're expecting the mirror to tell you what you want to know instead of allowing the glory of God to change and move. I had a lady once who came to me and the poor thing, she had a very disobedient, adulterous husband. Not once, not twice. He even gave an engagement ring while he was married to another woman on Christmas Day. That's a hard one to counsel. With their children, they had their Christmas dinner, and he went out to his mistress and bought her a huge ring that he couldn't afford reason she found out is the bill popped up. He was also stupid. So she came to me, and what I wanted to tell her was to take that ring and show, you know, but I didn't. She came to me as a pastor, which I was her pastor. So I said, you know, I have to tell you what the Word says. You have the right to just... Leave them right now, but you've already withstood three or four different opportunities when you could have with him cheating. 
obviously there's something there. You ask me, what is the first will of the Lord? The first will of the Lord is to stick it out. But the gracious will of the Lord is you're released. I said, but I only tell you this, and it was with the unction of the Holy Spirit. I said, whatever you do, don't put God in a box. I said, you're asking me to put God in a box for you. I can't gift wrap him in a box for you. I can only tell you this, that God is capable of doing anything to everyone and everybody at any time. Is this the grace that gets him over the top, the father of your children? Or is this just another blemish? They restored for a couple years, and then it fell apart. And by the way, the man attended church. Yeah. Attended church and attended my Bible study. How? Because that word was never internalized. That word was external. And somehow he grasped the comfortable promise of grace. And he frustrated grace. He abused grace. Trust me, I need his grace. We love his grace. Grace and truth are synonymous with one and the other. You'll never hear me preach down about grace. Grace is a gift of God. However, we need to protect grace as we protect our soul and our heart. And at some point, the cup can run out. I've seen it happen in people's lives. I've seen them play roulette with their hearts and their lives and their spirits. And at the last moment when they die suddenly, I don't know how they were sitting with the Lord at that moment. I just know what they were doing the night before, which certainly wasn't of the Lord. Or in that moment when they got caught up in a gunfight or a car accident, living a life of sin but knew the Lord. Does grace cover that? I don't know. All I can do is encourage everybody and myself, let's not play grace roulette. Let's live and know and have the confidence. And that's what Paul was saying. I pray that you have the confidence to know the glory and the fullness of God, the confidence. We can only walk in confidence if we're walking according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ and obeying him. That's confidence. doesn't mean we get everything right, and it doesn't mean we fulfill everything he's given us to do, but we have this confidence that Christ in you is our hope of glory. And Christ in me gives me eternal life. But I have to protect that. You have to protect that. That's our precious treasure. That's not a get-out-of-jail card. That's our treasure. That's a gift. So... Jesus came to fulfill the law within the hearts of his disciples. It's a scripture that he gave us in Matthew, chapter 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So now we get a beginning to understanding that we might be fulfilled, be filled with the fullness of God when we understand that it requires Jesus. Jesus to fulfill. And we also understand that the law had holes in it. It couldn't fulfill. That that law which was word was not internalized. It was externalized. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For surely I say to you till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law 
till it is all fulfilled. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. He's talking about commandments. And then he gives us this challenge. Listen to this, church. The body of Christ needs to hear this clarion call. The trumpet needs to blow, and it needs to resonate with the fear of the Lord in the hearts of the body. For I say to you, I take it he's speaking to me. You decide what you want. You want it to just be historical, that's your choice. It's a living word. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, my righteousness, exceeds the righteousness, say exceeds the righteousness. Say it loud, exceeds the righteousness. There's levels of righteousness. You understand that? He didn't say that what I'm going to tell you now exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What he was saying is their righteousness only took them so far. It was external. Everything about it was external. And to this day, if you go into Israel or other places or even on an airplane, when the Orthodox rabbi or somebody takes out their tefillim and they begin to, to go through the external process of the Word of God, it's lacking spirit. It's not internalized. And it's repeated over and over and over. You know why? Because when the Word is not internalized, it's temporary. The law was a temporary fix. And it was only as good as the moment and the obedience. And here was the problem. The obedience and the moment couldn't sustain in time, this moment is already history. Every second, every moment, every month, every year. Everything ticks. Time you cannot stop. That moment is gone. You need a series of moments in lives. That moment's gone. And in that instance, it was, it's now becomes temporary because that which was done to, to try to achieve righteousness in God isn't working anymore. And the equipment isn't there to do it again. You have to sacrifice another animal. You need another priest. You need another feast day. You need another environment. You need to be in the right place at the right time and hope that it works. There's a lot of Christians living that way. Living by the moment to be in the right place at the right time, just believing that it will happen that way without an understanding that that external righteousness, that external word doesn't work. But here Jesus says, you need to exceed that righteousness. So that tells me there are depths and quality of the essence of righteousness. That's what that tells you. So, oh, wait a minute, Frank, wait a minute. He was made sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's true. And we all have the ability to pray, but not everybody has the same gift or the same, the, the same intensity of gifts, right? There are people that can pray for healings, and those healings are more apt to happen with that person because that's the gift that they exercise and use. There are teachers that have a different level of teaching and revelation because that's the gift God has given them. That's what they use. There are people who can love more than other people because they've been harnessing the love of God and Christ in their lives and not just ordering it from their mouth. There's all kinds of things you can understand in the kingdom of God that have intensities and qualities to them so does righteousness. There's only one righteousness, it's in Jesus Christ. But what it manifests through you has degrees and through me. So we could be righteous in one extent and very unrighteous in another, right? And then the Lord really throws us a zinger. 
<laughs> it's a knuckleball. You know what that knuckleball is? The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They don't change. Pastor Frank, so-and-so has a history praying for people. They're healed. He's got a big ministry. People are falling around, but I happen to know that he's in adultery. How come God is still allowing him to do what he does? Because the gifts and calling of God are without change. You can't measure yourself or somebody else by your gifts. Oftentimes the gifts become the greatest curse to somebody. Hmm? Lord, Lord, I healed people in your name. I don't know you. Get out of here. Lord, Lord, I taught people. I pastored for 45 years, Lord. Get out of here. Your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You used my word externally. You didn't put it internal. You asked people to do what you wouldn't do yourself. You tried to take people to a place and they fell off cliffs because you left them there. In your own heart, you're double-minded. Am I touching some buttons? I know I speak myself to that all the time. And this isn't just a message for you and me. This is a message to the body of Christ. Let it go where it goes. Let it land where it lands. And so here we see. John chapter 1, read it yourself. He tells us that we got the law from Moses. But then came the light, and the light was the light of the world, and there's a correlation to Genesis 1. And Jesus is the light. So we understand that in this creation, there's a new creation, there's a recreation going on that is very similar to the last one. First, the Spirit of God moves over the deep. <laughs> and then the Lord speaks the Word. And then the Word becomes alive. And it has roots. And the seeds begin to sprout and germinate. And they become a tree of life. Jeremiah, he told of it in Jeremiah 31, but I'm going to go to Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26 first. Actually, yeah. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What? Confusing. I'm going to take flesh out, and I'm going to give you flesh. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's what he's done with us that have accepted Jesus Christ. Why? Because the old one can't internalize the word of God. The old one can't know God. The only one can externalize only. And so I'm going to put a new spirit within you. Basically, I'm going to transform you completely. You're not going to be who you were. You're going to be somebody new. You're going to be a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. You see... Have you ever tried to grow something in stone? Doesn't work. All the way down to Adam when he had to start tilling the ground, stones were his enemy. You're trying to grow something, you got to get the stones out. You grow something with stones, it doesn't work too good, does it? Kimmy knows. Doesn't work good at all. And you got to, 
when you're trying to plant grass and put a yard in, what do you do? You rake it and you rake it and you get it down to fine powder and then you've got some nice soil. The same thing with the heart of stone. Nothing can grow in it. The Word of God comes and just washes off with it with the first rain, the first disappointment, the first lust, the first greed, the first challenge, the first excuse. Oh, how many of you know that right when you need a good excuse, there's a Christian there that'll give you one? <laughs> huh? You see, I got to preach to the body of Christ. I know the message to preach to the unsaved. You know the message to preach to the unsaved. The hard ones preach into the body of Christ. Because then the body goes, who does he think he is? Happened a lot to Jesus, didn't it? Who do you say you are? How dare you say you're, I'm going to kill you in the name of God. How many pastors get crucified in the name of God? How many teachers? How many men and women? Huh? Well, here's the good news. The good news is this, that the more we die, the more we live. <laughs> it is a challenge of the kingdom of God that is probably one of the greatest laws we have. You can't kill somebody or something that's eternal. You can't kill them. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill your body. It's meaningless. He said, fear the one who can cast you into hell after you're dead. When you get that mentality, when that word soaks into the heart of flesh, that's what he meant by that challenge. It wasn't that he was just taking out one flesh heart, putting in another one. He was taking out the heart of stone from your flesh and giving you a heart that had the essence of God in order for the word of God to grow in there. But how do you grow something? Hmm? What does the word do? It waters. The word waters. The word plants. And then the Holy Spirit hovers and moves over that inside, filling the Holy Ghost, moves over that inside heart. And sprouts begin to come up, sprouts of life. And here's what was really lacking in the Old Testament. There were glimpses of it. For example, Jeremiah and Ezekiel with the new heart stuff. They didn't really get it. They got the word from God, the message, but they didn't get it because they didn't have Christ yet. They, did, they didn't get that revelation and understanding because you need the mind of Christ. And there's only one operative in all of creation that can minister the mind of Christ, and that's the Holy Spirit. So it's not like there's three different persons working us. They're one, one God in the three persons that are all working in the fullness of God for us in tandem, merging the Word with the Spirit. And now all of a sudden, when the Word of God is spoken to us or He speaks it to us or it jumps off the pages of written paper that otherwise is useless paper. How many of you know that? It's useless paper unless it's alive. It's nothing more than a, than a book. It's the Bible, but it's a book unless it's alive. But when it, when it embeds here, when we partake of the nature of God, as First Peter said, we're, Second Peter, we're partakers of the nature of God. When that nature of God is alive inside of us and that word hits it, the glory can only do one thing and it's expand 
for the kingdom of God. And he's working on us from the inside out. I don't know about you, but when the flesh is becoming too strong, when Frank Flesh begins to show himself a little bit too strong, I need to get that word. I need to get into that word. I need to praise. I need to worship. I need to fight back that flesh. I need to ramp up the, the, the brightness of his righteousness inside of me. I need to do that. You need to do that. That's how we overcome. We don't overcome by just simply getting beat up and downtrodden and just taking it because we're nothing different than slaves in the Roman Empire that were beat up and cast out. No, 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 no. We're brothers. We're sisters with Jesus Christ. But we have to have more lit up in here. But we have the capacity to do it. That's what Paul was saying. You have the capacity because you're transforming from that to this. And how many of you know that every time, every time you succeed and you move from one thing to the next, you've overcome? How many of you know that? That's overcoming. These are those who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What was it of their testimony? Their word. The word through the blood. Bringing the Holy Spirit. And so we, we, we know you've been taught the power of spoken word, but maybe you just haven't connected the dots. If I had a megaphone here right now and, and it had batteries in it, and I turned it up, and I held it to here, and I yelled out loud, you would know that that megaphone was the source of the, of, of, of the blast of my voice. And then if I turned it off, you would only hear my voice maybe like this. The heart, the voice of God is your volume speaking out, coming from the very depths of the inside. Paul, who I still believe was the writer of Romans, I can't imagine who else it would be. The writer of Romans, he cried out and he said, there's a spirit inside of you, inside of us, that's calling out, first of all, for the adoption to be sons of God. Sons meaning both male and female. Crying out for the evangelist, that's my greatest tool. I teach it to everybody in evangelism. You already have the edge because God has implanted a code inside of everybody that's crying out for the adoption of the sons of God. Our wisdom, to trigger it with the Word and the Holy Spirit. Trigger it. Have wisdom. Sometimes it works to just say, hey, you need God, you're going to die, go to hell. Sometimes that works. Most of the times it doesn't. Sometimes you need a little more wisdom. Right? But when we understand what's working inside the heart, we understand that that seed was planted from the original image of God. Let us make him in our image because that was his family. The whole reason he created the species man was to have a family, a family like himself. And so now we understand that as born again creatures, new creation creatures, when that word comes from this place and is mixed with the Holy Spirit, you have the power, all the authority, the dominion, creative, procreative, however you want to look at it, to have authority. 
The first authority we need to exercise is what? Over ourselves. Huh? How can I help anybody else if I need a lot of help? Hmm? You know, the funniest thing to me is, is when I see three dysfunctional people each giving each other advice. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I've had somebody tell me, well, I went to brother so-and-so and he told me how to do this. I said, well, how's that working for you? How's his life going? Well, he's got some stuff. He's got some issues, yeah. <laughs> One thing you can always rely on, the word of the Lord is truth. And that that word has power. It discerns. <laughs> the word, the living word discerns inside of us. It gets down to the very marrow and the essence of who we are and brings forth what God has for you. You see, we take it as judgment, right? The first thing we want to do, ooh, going to discern me. This might be bad. No, no, this is good. It's discerning through the junk to the good stuff. And in the good stuff, it's beginning to embellish it and bring it forth, and pretty soon it comes alive. And with the Spirit, He adds revelation, fresh revelation to the Word of God that's alive for you in your experience and circumstance right now. Right now. And you know what? The next time that the Lord uses that and calls upon that, you've already tempered it. It's already grown a little bit. It's already matured. It doesn't need to go through all the same things it went through one time. And it probably has a little more power than it had before. But here's the beauty of the living word mixed with the spirit of God according to the love of the heart of the Father. He adapts it and transforms it to be exactly what you need for this experience, even though that experience had nothing to do with the last experience. And all of a sudden you go, wow. You get a mind explosion from the heart implosion. Okay, let's wind it down. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Isaiah got this. Now remember something, Isaiah is a major prophet, right? Scriptures, major prophet. He's a big dude. The grass withers, the flower fades. Oh, that sounds so nice. Sounds like a hippie. I think Isaiah might have been a hippie. <laughs> the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord God stands forevermore. Here's the vision I get of Isaiah. He's getting the word of the Lord, and he's not really understanding everything he's getting. He's transcribing it. How many of you know they found some of his scrolls, his Dead Sea scrolls, to prove his word? Especially about the Messiah. Huh? God preserved them. Found by a nomad. Not by a Jew, not by a Christian. Found by a nomad who sold them for money. <laughs> God knew what to do. The grass withers. Here's what I get. Isaiah, he says, man, Lord, you're dumping so much stuff on me. People don't even think I'm real anymore. I don't think I'm real anymore. I don't think I belong in this world. What am I doing? 
I've got a language and I'm talking and writing things down that the rabbis don't see, they don't understand it because he's moving in the spirit of God, right? And I can just see him sort of laying outside of whatever he had. I don't think he lived large, but laying outside of whatever he had and he's looking out and today the grass is nice, the flowers, wild flowers are growing in the field and the next day they're gone. He says, the grass withers. The flowers faded, but the Word, the Word stands forever. Take that and put it here. When the Word of the Lord is here, it's sealed. It's forever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Talking with Jim Baker multiple times, ministering to Jim Baker not too, too long ago, a couple years ago. Had no Bible. Stuck in his cell, curled up like an infant in a fetal position in the corner. The Lord had his hands off of him. Everything was gone. His wife left him. House burned down. Went in jail. Ministry gone. Scorn of the world. Nothing to live for. And he's Inviting the devil to make a deal with him. You get me out of this, I'll give you my soul. He'll tell you. He said nothing else was left, and he said, I deserved it anyway. I wanted to do it to myself because I didn't deserve anything else. And he didn't know the grace of God, even though he taught and preached it lots of times. But he didn't really understand the grace. It was just something that gave him a get-out-of-jail pass for the things he did or didn't do. And then there was a little voice. To this day, thinks it might have been a guard. I think it might have been an angel. A little voice came from the side of the bars. Jim, don't do it. Jim, don't do it. Jim. My word's inside of you, Jim. Don't do it. He began to bring the word out of here, through here, in that dark, deep prison place. Hope began to come back alive inside of him because those things, that word was forever, even though a lot of crud had covered it over. He began to expound it and he made a request. He asked for a Bible. He got one. And he only went to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Didn't go to anything else because all the other stuff was serving him pretty good in the flesh went to the Gospels, and he focused on only the words in red of Jesus Christ himself. And he went through months of repentance, months of change, months of transformation, months of humbling, and hope came back. And he came to the place where he didn't care anymore 
if he was in prison the rest of his life because now he was teaching a Bible study. Teaching only the Gospels, the words of Jesus Christ. And they came alive from that heart. The stone broke and he began to appreciate who he was in Christ again. And he knew he was saved. Beloved, my prayer for you is you don't have to go to those depths to allow the word of God to come alive in your life and everything that happens, but do this with fear and trembling before the Lord, but also with confidence that you surely are transforming. And if you're not, let me ask you to invite the Lord to get you moving again and transforming in Him. It's not what you do. It's not what you do. It's not how many things are you doing in the kingdom of God. That's all good. That's the fruit. It's what you are. It's what's happening right here. It's what you're letting go of. It's what doors are you opening up and allowing the light of the Lord to shine into. It's becoming honest with ourselves. Huh? The hardest honesty is to be honest with ourselves. That's a tough one. But it's liberating. And once we're there, we got to keep it moving. Keep it moving. This scripture. Hebrews 11, 1, 2. We're closing. How powerful are the words of God in creation? I think we already know, but how about this? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? The evidence of things not seen. That was another whole thing. We got that. We should anyway. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Faith. Faith when you don't see it. Keep going. By faith we understand. By faith we understand. By faith we comprehend. By faith we apprehend. By faith we know. By faith we grow. That the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. What's that tell you? That tells you this. You could see this. It could be visible in your eyes. But unless you get the revelation to see beyond what is not that is, you're not moving in the Holy Spirit. It's external. It's not internal. We have by faith to understand that all of the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Genesis 1. The heavens and the earth. And He's still framing and creating. How many of you know that? He is the only being, the supreme being that can create in all of eternity in creation. Everything else is procreating that has life. Because that's the way He wanted it. But he says, these things which are not seen are the ones are not visible. That's where the Spirit comes in. That's why you can't have faith. Come on. You can't have faith that lasts without the moving of the Holy Spirit. You say, what about Abraham? I guarantee you the Spirit of the hand of God was upon Abraham, upon Isaac, upon Jacob, upon the prophets, upon John the Baptist. 
The difference was it was moments. The spirit of the living God couldn't live inside of them, only Jesus, because they weren't pure. And the spirit of the living God is the essence of the glory of God Almighty. And the glory of God cannot be touched by hands that are contaminated or by flesh that is not pure. But you have a pure vessel. How many of you know that your bodies are the temple of the living God? And that body isn't just the flesh. That body is everything you are. It's your whole being. That body only has life in a new creation because of the spirit of the living God and the Son and the Father. Let us be in them that they be one even as we are one. But we've got to transform. And we then understand now that this word, this word Jesus is the word, it is so much greater than just words on a piece of paper or preaching or teaching or even things that we speak out of our mouths. That word is holding the whole universe together. When you imagine the enormity of the power, the focus, the expanse of the living word of God, now take all of that, put it here. The fullness of the living God is your potential, my potential right here. How full, Pastor? Incomprehensible. I can't get it all. I know in this life I won't, but you know what? Paul said, I keep striving forward. I keep moving on. I'm trying to attain it. I'm trying to get more. I know there's more. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm transforming from a glory to a glory. I get it, but I got to get it. That is us perfecting ourselves in the word and spirit of the living God. Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you, Father, that we have a better, not only a better understanding, but a better appreciation for you, Jesus, the word, the living word, a word that's beyond what our comprehension is of word. It's beyond what we've been taught, even as children, to learn words. It's word, it's truth, it's you, it's spirit, it's the fullness of God. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue to water and to move inside of us. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to search out those deep things inside of us. Let the deep call the deep and produce those things unto the altar of the living God, Father, and bring forth fruit from these trees, O Lord. Allow us, Father, to be pleased and fast and quick to obey you. Allow our love to be genuine and true, Lord. And allow us, Father, when we stood to stand and continue to standing even more. Give us the strength that Paul prayed that we might have. The strength to apprehend and comprehend the fullness, the breadth, the width, the depth of the understanding of you and your, under, and your spirit. Father, we know we won't get there in this lifetime, but Lord, allow us to keep trying and keep adding unto us. Lord, let the old glory become stale to us. Let it no longer satisfy us. Push us out like an eagle does its young ones out of the nest to learn to fly. Push us out of the old glory, Father, that, Lord, we strive for the new glory. And, Lord, when we've been there for a while, push us out again for the better glory and the better glory and the better glory, Lord, and the newer glory. Let us not try to find solutions in what was.
but let us find the solutions in the things that are to be as if they are now, Lord. Oh, my God, if we ever needed more to have that mind and your word and your spirit hovering and alive in us as a generation, it's now. Father, we can't do it without you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Jesus, the world needs you. Let us be those mouths of the gospel. Let us be the fruits of your teaching. Let us be your hands, your ears, the cradle of your neck, Lord God. Let us be your love. And Father, in the chinks, in our armor, in the chinks, in our spirit, smooth it over with grace, Lord God. Smooth us over with grace, Lord. Make us slick with your grace, Lord. To you alone be all the glory, my Father, my Lord Jesus, our Holy Spirit. Amen.